Welcome to Continuous Plays, The Art of Slaying, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective featuring Brian Thomas. This is probably my favorite Buffy episode of the whole series. And Jay Newcastle. I mean, seriously. Okay, I got real problems. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the copyright of Fox Television Studios, and any discussion of the characters, episodes, or music is strictly for entertainment purposes only. Welcome to The Art of Slaying, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And we're here to talk about Season 4, Episode 14, Goodbye, Iowa. Written by Marty, I don't see nothing wrong with a little bump and grind, Noxon. Riley is in complete shock that Walsh would try to have Buffy killed, and now that Walsh has died, the initiative is a mess. Riley also goes into serious withdrawal as we learn that he's been missing his drugs and he was unknowingly being fed them by the initiative. In the process, Riley begins to doubt everything he once held dear, including Buffy. Meanwhile, Adam reveals information about himself, that he is a completely aware creature created seemingly to destroy humanity. He goes on a murderous rampage in Sunnydale. Buffy and Xander sneak into the initiative to find help for Riley, but he is also there, and when Adam shows up, Riley is badly injured, but taken away by the initiative personnel, leaving Buffy to wonder what he's got left to hold on to. And that is the plot summary for episode 14, Goodbye, Iowa. The reference there to Riley's home state being from Iowa and sort of the loss of his innocence. I mean, this this is a Riley episode, Brian. I mean, it, it, if anything, it's about him. And I guess the lies your parents tell you <laughs> that you learn aren't necessarily true. And I mean, he really loses, he loses his sense of everything he's known in this episode. And I got to say, Mark Lucas hasn't been given a lot to work with other than to just be the charming, nice guy next door, super James Bond commando, which, you know, they grow on trees in Iowa, apparently, because that's where <laughs> Kirk is from uh, for you Star Trek fans. But, he gets to play so many different sides here. He plays angry, he plays depressed, he plays psychotic because of the drug issues. There's all kinds of stuff. And I really thought he did a good job handling all those various emotions throughout the, the swing of this episode. Yeah, this is really the episode where you get sold on Riley as a character for this for the rest of the season. You know, he does a lot here. He has to bring together everything that's happened and make some kind of sense of it, but he can't kind of make that sense because of what he's going through. Now, right away, let me ask you, Jay, right away when you saw him shaking and all that, did you know that he was coming down from a drug? I thought something was up. I didn't know it was a drug thing the first time I saw this and wasn't surprised when they revealed that. That explains a lot of things, makes a lot of sense, but I didn't know what was going on. I thought he was just in shock or or something. I mean... Well, I I when remember when, when watching this, I, I said to my wife while we watched, I said, he's going through a withdrawal right here. Because if you remember back a couple times ago, when Buffy and Riley had first been together, what did he do when he first woke up? He took his pills. Yeah, they set that okay. up, yeah. Right. And so I said, there's something going on where they must be feeding him pills or something this group and he's going through withdrawals now because he's been so disheveled and he didn't go home he's been out and probably hasn't taken them and that's exactly what happened i thought that was really well done and i really liked that it, that they did it that way well i like that there's a scientific explanation for how these soldiers are so dang tough 
you know, and how they are able to hang in these fights. It's not just their equipment. They're actually hopped up on, I guess you, you want to call it steroids. I mean, that's really what we're talking about here, right? To make them super soldiers. I mean, it's something. I don't think it's necessarily just steroids. I think they're also drugs to keep them under control. Mind well, yeah, there, there's definitely some mind control going. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you. I'm just saying there's strength element because that's another thing that starts to fail is Riley's not as good in the fight. You know, he's he's losing his skills, and even one of his buddies calls it out that you know you you got to get back on the program, man. You know, and that's it's the unfortunate part of the road he's gone down here, and it's neat to watch him devolve right in front of our eyes. Yeah, I liked it, and I, I thought they did a really, really good job of representing someone who might be going through withdrawal, the anger issues, the delirium, the the whole the physical look that they gave him was fantastic. I mean, he looked tired, worn out, like he couldn't figure out what was going on, like he hadn't slept in probably weeks, right? It, it was really well done. Uh, from all aspects of it. And I thought, you know, Mark Lucas really did a good job portraying this type of a character that's coming down from here. And I thought, I really enjoyed Riley in this episode. And it definitely was a Riley episode. We kind of got to learn all sorts of things about him being the soldier and, and how he looked up to Maggie Walsh. And, you know, all the way to the point where when they find out that, that Maggie was murdered and they look at how it was done and Forrest is really telling them, it's a stake through the heart, you know, and he's starting to believe it kind of, but not. He's trying not to believe it, but can't help but believe it a little bit. And then, of course, Dr. Engelman comes in and basically says, a Polgaro demon must have done it because we've had ours escape, right? Two things about that that I, that I found interesting. One, that it, you know, Forrest is, is showing his colors here that he is not for Buffy either. And so he's looking for any excuse to blame it on her, and that's the first thing he would jump to. And then the fact that the superior left in charge, Dr. Engelman, says, no, 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 it's this Paul Gar demon that got loose. They're still keeping up the lie, the facade. And isn't that what happens all the time? Or is that the, the big conspiracy theory about the big government agencies, that they never really tell the people on the ground level what actually is happening because they want to keep them in line and maintain control well that and they've got to cover their ass right they aren't ready to reveal the project of what it really is yet to these people and so they know that they captured a pulgaris demon or a pulgara demon right they know that they did this already and what that demon can do so blame it on that and tell them it escaped makes sense to me and i I liked how they did it so um but i thought it was kind of odd that they wouldn't kind of build that suspense that it could have been buffy they kind of just killed it right then and there yeah, that is, is another thing, like we said last episode, these cool ideas that they bring up for about six seconds, and then they just kill it. I mean, it's just they just shoot the wad quick on these things, and it's, it's so they can get to another point. So functionally, I understand it, but from a story aspect, that would have been a cool thing to see. Like he went the whole episode thinking it could have been Buffy, and then in the end, learning the truth, that would have been easier, but they spoiled it for him right out of the gate. I mean, they, there's no suspense to that at all. And and look, Engelman was going along with Walsh on her contingency plan to take out Buffy anyway, so why not go with that? It's another loose end he knows needs to be tied up. I'm with you. That would have been a cool thing for them to stretch out the whole time and, w- and would have been neat if, if Riley tried to face off against Buffy and she had to not necessarily put him down but put him in his place. You know, that would have been interesting, but they don't do that. So let's talk about what they do, Brian, you know, that what this all is about. Ah! 
at him. 314. It's finally all revealed. We get to see him talk, even. What do you think? One word, Jay. Lame. Absolutely lame. This is probably the stupidest idea I think I've ever seen on the show. And that is saying something when you have a praying mantis teacher and you have swim teams turning into giant fish. This is bad. This is the Frankenstein metaphor, isn't it? It's terrible. And, and, and that's what they're going for here, though, right? I mean, that's what all people will tell you is that, oh, no, no, it's just like Frankenstein, that your technology will destroy you because you don't understand the spiritual nature of all these things and all that stuff. And I want to tell you, it's freaking loose, and it's it's really, really weak. It's not done well. And I, I'm not taking anything away from the actor. He was given stuff, and he just did it. But Adam has no charisma on screen at all. He sounds like a boring Terminator. Yeah. And I just cannot go for it. That whole bit where he meets the kid who's playing with like a Terminator doll or whatever, and he's, what are you? And then he reveals later that he tore him apart and just learned so much about how beautiful his insides were and all that. That's supposed to be scary. It sounds really stupid. And I, I'm no more afraid of this guy than anything I've seen. And I'm wondering, like, I've seen Buffy kill robots. Remember Ted, anyone? She just needs to pick up a frying pan and take this homeboy out. Because this is weak. And I'm asking myself a question. Is this the big bad? It's got to be the big bad. This is when we reveal the big bad. Uh, this is the big bad? Yeah, and you know it's the big bad because that was what was in 314 as we learned last episode. And so you know this is what they were doing. They were putting pieces of every demon's strength together to form a super combat warrior, right? That's kind of what Adam's supposed to be. Yeah, see, that's the thing, too. It's, I mean, I, I put it in the plot summary there that you read that you know, he's apparently built to destroy humanity. I don't know what he's built for. He never says, and it never comes out in this episode. He kind of teases, like, do you want to know my final purpose? And then the fight happens. But what what is his purpose? Is, is he supposed to be, like, super soldier? Is Are they playing, like, Cobra did with... Is it supposed to be like Serpentor was for Cobra? That they, you know, build the super leader? That's how I took it. I mean, that's the only thing that made sense to me uh, was that we're trying to build this, the perfect soldier who has everything to fight every evil that's out there, demon, human, or otherwise, right? And fight them with their own strengths. But I don't know. I'm with you. It comes off really weak, especially, you know, I, I can understand the part human, part demon thing, but really the floppy disk drive to feed him information, that was... A little too much, I think. That was really... Talking about a blast from technology's past. We were talking about beepers last time. Sheesh. Those little mini discs that he kept popping in and out. And just... Ugh, that whole that whole setup was just... I, I mean, at that point, you know, I worked for a company at the time that we backed everything up on tape to tape reels. I expected him to pull one out of his leg or something. I mean, he, he had every other piece of equipment. He might as well have that, too. I, he looked like if you cut apart a lot of your Star Wars toys and glued them together, this is what you'd get. You know, that, he kind of seemed assembled from multiple <laughs> special effects props. And this is what they came up with. And... Yeah. The other thing too, Jay, is he's supposed to sound like he's a philosophical thinker when he talks because he's talking in all these prose and and like he's some genius, like he's Freud or something. 
Well, but here's the thing. They never bother to explain what the human part of him was. Like, Riley and, and Forrest should have been like, Jim? Or, you know, some guy that they recognize. <laughs> they never dropped that. So we don't know where Jim? they found this guy. I like that. Jim, I, I just came up with that. But, but, but I mean, really? Is, you know, uh, or, you know, give him a better name, Ralph? You know, what's wrong with you? But wh- where did he come from? We never, we never explained. And you know why they don't explain it, from Because they know it's week two. I firmly believe that they drew this idea up, and when they got around to executing it, they realized eh, this just really isn't that that interesting. And he, he's not—he's not. I don't care about his his philosophy. He's so ridiculous, and especially compared to like the mayor from last time, who I could listen to read the phone book. Compared to this guy, oh, not even close. Yeah, for for sure. One side note too. Did you notice Spike? You know, Willie the Snitch is in this episode, which which we have to uh, talk about a little bit. But when Spike goes to Willie's bar, and then a demon comes up and attacks him, did you realize that that was Adam's voice and that other demon too? Yes, I did, and I was like, "That's got to be him." Like they they just didn't have enough people around. But it wasn't. It's you know, it's the same actor, right? It's the same act. It has to be the same actor. I don't know that we ever find out, but but yeah, it, it's just just like really, you couldn't find someone else to do the voice. He had to get Adam's voice. I mean, especially when you just introduce him. So we just freshly heard him talk, and now you do that. Really, and that point kind of goes nowhere too. I mean, well, it does and it doesn't. The whole point is that Spike wants to be back in his demon world, and the demons are letting him know, oh, "You're not welcome because you fight us now." And so now he has no other choice but to be a part of the gang, you know. But that's because of Spike's lack of options, not because he would choose to be. Which makes that even more ridiculous that he's going to them for help. I mean, it's uh, you know, again, all of that yeah. just uh, flutters across the screen, and it. It's all in this backdrop of, I don't see, one, the whole bit about how long it took to put him together. Walsh drops that at the end of last episode. You know, I've spent too much time, too many years working on you to see it fail now, to see that little tramp get you or whatever. And I thought, wait a minute, how long did it take to put this cat together? How long is this, again, how long has this thing been here in Sunnydale? And they're just now. You have out? to think it's been a, quite a few years because if you don't recall, Riley has only killed seven or captured seventeen HSTs, and he's their best one. And yeah. how many different HSTs did they have to use to put Adam together? So they've probably been working on this for quite some time underground. Yeah, and it just but and that's all you came up with. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it seems kind of. I mean, you, the whole metaphor there, or the trope, really, is that the the super technology destroys you because it becomes aware, and the first thing the super technology realizes, Skynet, you know, whatever you want to fill in the blank, is that humans are the biggest threat, and so we must take out the humans. So now, the thing that we created to protect us from all evil is the thing that destroys us. Jay, we need to talk to you about some of the side stuff that goes on in here because I think some of it's kind of interesting. Um, first, you know, Buffy and the gang are kind of hiding out in Xander's place, which I, I find hilarious, first off. Um, and there, you know, Giles is sleeping in his own little quarters, which is kind of good because it'd be kind of freaky with the old man and the young kids. But he's in his little quarters and, and Anya, Willow, and Buffy are there kind of huddled up watching the Roadrunner cartoons, which is hilarious in itself. They finally turn off the TV, well, Giles turns off the TV. But how funny is it, do you think, I found it quite amusing that Xander would just come in all of a sudden out of the blue and say, turn on the TV, turn on the TV, and all of a sudden, no more cartoons, we're on the news channel right away. 
Did you find that odd? Because I found that odd. Uh, yeah, I know. That is a little strange. That, that it was just immediate. You know? but that, isn't that always the trope, though, is that turn on the news and it's always right at the spot where you need to... Because that never happens, right? What do you do? You <laughs> see something cool in the news, then you call people and they've missed it. Exactly. You know? so, the, but it's always like the, I guess, clairvoyancy of the newscast is that, is that television trope. So, oh, something important's going to come on after the Jolly Green Giant commercial. Turn on the news. <laughs> and uh, then there it is. And it's... Uh, you know, I, I think it was funny, though, that Buffy and, and them were watching the Wile E. Coyote cartoon. And the whole bit is that the technology always backfires on the coyote. Right. And Buffy does that whole bit about, ah, that would never happen. That's exactly what is happening. The technology is backfiring. Which it is. It's a good. It's a good metaphor. It's a good. It's a. It's a funny little line that they drop in there. And Willow says, "Well, that's why it's called a cartoon, Buffy. <laughs> These things can happen in cartoons." Now, I thought that was kind of cute. And then you know a little bit about uh, Buffy and Buffy and Xander. They go on a reconnaissance mission. Of course, they've got to bring back the whole thing of Xander who used to be a commando for one whole day, and so he knows everything about being a soldier. Not even a day. Two hours. I know. One night. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but they go into there. Now, I have questions here, because um, if I recall, when uh, Hush happened, and they tried to get into the elevator, and it recognized that there was more than one being in the elevator, and no voice match was going, um... Don't you think when Buffy gets into the elevator and Xander gets in, it would recognize that Xander's there and kind of throw a fit? I can explain that. They've set this up before, though, where Riley has been the one that's keyed the elevator and done the voice match, and Forrest and Graham are just there with him, and they don't say anything okay. on the way down. Okay. So, so as long as you have one match, then you figure at least one. It, it, the security must know that well. One of these people may be bringing other things down with okay. them, but they're probably in control. That that's also a fail safe in the system, and you've just made yourself a fifty thousand uh, dollar contract to work that issue out with them, sir. So, congratulations. Initiative Incorporated will be in touch. Yeah. <laughs> Or the Department of Defense, I guess I should say, but but really, yeah, I, I I didn't I didn't think anything about that. I did think it was funny that Buffy's disguised as a white lab coat, her hair pulled back, and glasses. Yeah, because yeah, that's all it takes. Yeah, that, that, I mean, she doesn't. Nobody's stick, gonna she know, doesn't right? stick out in the room full of no other women. Yeah, <laughs> so. I agree. I thought that was kind of lame as well. I did like when Buffy went to Willie the Snitches. It was kind of fun to see Willie the Snitch back. Right? He gives the whole spiel about how he's gone clean. He's no longer doing the double behind the back thing, and uh, you know he's respectable. And of course, he she's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna have to hit you." And he goes, oh, "Just make it look good, right?" And he gets decked pretty good but i like that riley comes in there and is just totally floored that buffy would be hanging out in a vampire or a demon lair right he's just floored by this and i i like that whole interaction because uh, because he's learned that they're not only that they're holding spike right which he finds unbelievable that and now he sees her with other demons and he's just like what the crap you're supposed to be capturing and killing these things not hanging out with them i like that and it's thus the clash of the black and white scientific world versus buffy's reality which is much grayer you know because she's played on both sides of that fence she knows how it works and it's not as cut and dry as riley wants it to be or as the initiative is told him as it is and He's out of his element. He's also grasping at straws, too. We need to mention that again. Yes. He, he's losing his mind because chemically he's imbalanced. And also, he, he literally doesn't know what to think anymore because everyone he trusts is not all of what they've 
been cracked up to be for right. him. Right. And he's having to deal with all that. And it's a lot on the old boy. I kind of feel sorry for him because he, he doesn't come off as pathetic. He comes off as someone who's just lost. And by the end of it, that's one of the things when he grabs it, his hands all cut up or whatever, and he, you know, Buffy's asking, I wonder what he's got to hold on to, and he's holding on to her bandana, that you realize that he's come to his senses enough to know, I can trust this this girl. I can trust this woman, and maybe I should trust her more than I trust all this other stuff. But getting to that point is a dark place he has to yeah. go through. I liked it, too. And I'll, I'll see Willie again. That was always nice. I, if I'm not mistaken, that's the last time we see him. I don't know that that comes into play again in the, in the, se- in the series. I, that's something to hang on to, folks. If, if we're wrong, you can point us out on Facebook or on the website. But I, I don't think we ever see Willie again. I don't recall him in any of the later seasons. Yeah, we'll have to keep our eye out for that one for sure. But um, the only other thing, Jay, that I think we need to talk about, too, is the dynamic between Willow and Tara. And I think this is very important in here because their relationship's getting deeper and we know that something is, we can tell that something's going on with these two. And we can see that Tara has a much deeper sense of this relationship than even Willow does at this point, at least that she consciously does at this point. And she tells Tara, you know, she doesn't just come over to do spells, that she comes to see her for other reasons too. But Tara knows right away that she wants to do a spell. And so she comes up with this very uh dark magic spell. And Tara, you can tell, is 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 a little worried about the spell, is terrified by the thought of even doing it, and Willow has to really convince her to do it. But I really like what what we saw Tara do here. When she's supposed to blow her dust out like Willow does, she fakes it and hides it. So she's it's an interesting thing she does there. She knows that this is very bad magic and doesn't want Willow to get involved in it because she's starting to care for her. And so she's trying to protect her from getting that far. And Willow can't figure it out, and she's not going to tell her, which I think is interesting. That told me one thing about Tara that I found to be quite profound. And it's that she is incredibly powerful. And even though she plays as so humble and so demure, and Amber Benson pulls that off really well, somewhere inside she knows that she has a better hold on magic and he's been around it more than willow has and she's not as gung-ho to jump off the deep end for the answers in magic all the time and i think think that that's a good thing for willow to have and it's an interesting character to introduce because it's the first magical character we've seen who has so much restraint and that's kind of cool and i think it harkens back to the whole point where when we first introduced the tara character to willow we kind of learned that tara's mother was also a witch and you got the sense that she took it too far so tara has seen that happen before and i think that her defense mechanisms come up at that point and she says no i can't can't let her do this because I know what it can lead to. And I like that a lot. I do too. I think, I think that it's fascinating and it, it's the interplay between the two of them is very, very neat. Kind of looking forward to seeing where they take it next. Yeah. Well, Jay, we're at the point of the podcast where we give our dustings ratings. So what is your dustings rating for season four, episode 14? Goodbye, Iowa. Brian, there's a lot of interesting things that happen here. They reveal a lot of plot. We get some places. I loved everything that Riley was doing in this episode. I thought it was really profound. But again, I felt like it was on fast forward. Uh, The only thing that seems to be taking its time is the reveal of Tara as a character, which I'm really happy about. But 
beyond that, everything seems like it's in a hurry to get somewhere. And the more I learn about Adam, and now that I know he is the big bad of the season, it's just really underwhelming. So I love the character part of this, but the story of it is just so lame that it makes it hard to give it all a pass. So as much as I enjoy it, i got to give it a two dustings again. And I really hope they can pull it up out of this, because otherwise it just it's not horrible. It's not fish monster bad, but it's it's not nearly as engaging as any of the other big bad arcs that we've seen so far. So two dustings for me on this this episode. Yeah, and, and I'm at the point now where I kind of take the whole big bad and I just throw it out the f-ing window. Because it's that bad. And I look at everything else that's going on. And I'm with you. I loved everything that happened with Riley in this episode. It really gave a lot more substance to Riley's character. And helps you kind of look ahead to what may be going down with Riley and Buffy in the future. And I like that. I thought it was done very well. I love the Willow Terra thing. I thought the whole faking the spell and hiding the evidence was huge for the character and the development of their relationship. And I think that that's the most intriguing thing I think that comes out of this episode to see where that kind of goes. And so I like that as well. So for me, I I have to give this, it's not a high or a mid three, but it's still a three for me. It's just barely over the two because I liked a lot of the stuff that happened in it. So for three dustings for me, a low three, I I did enjoy watching this episode. All right. So low three for you and a high two for me. Thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of The Art of Slaying, our Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective. You can find more episodes in the archive section of our website, theartofslaying.com. You can also find links to our social media pages. You can find links to our film podcast, Filmstrip, where you can peruse through the archives of some of the movies we reviewed and also read our latest feature from our fellow movie podcaster, Nick, Nick's Picks, where he does some reviews of the television shows he watches. Tons of content for you. You can find us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We really appreciate that. And most of all, we appreciate your listenership and support. So until next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for tuning in to The Art of Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the copyright of Fox Television Studios, and any discussion of the characters, episodes, or music is strictly for entertainment purposes only. 